Welcome to the Real Marathon Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the best in film each and every year. I am your host, Rob Carraher, and this is our very first episode. So what I want to do is I want to take a little bit of time here at the beginning of the show to talk about uh, what exactly this podcast is and what the format might look like from show to show. So, first of all, um, I named this podcast The Real Marathon because it is primarily an awards-based film podcast. And anyone that knows anything about how the award circuit works for film knows that it doesn't just start when the nominations come out for the Academy Awards. No, this is a year-long endeavor for many of these producers and filmmakers and distribution companies who are trying to win the ultimate prize of Best Picture at the Oscars. And so it's sort of like a marathon. Um, You have to start by deciding when a film is to come out and then have to work a campaign around that to try to win that top prize. So uh, that, that is the ultimate reason why I named this podcast the Real Marathon Podcast. Now, in addition, uh, we will be having a few special shows every once in a while that are called the Real Marathon Spoilers Shows. Um, And during these shows, we will uh, discuss a number of films that are all tied closely together in some sort of way. Um, So generally it will be anywhere from three to six films and I will announce way ahead of time that these are the films that we will be discussing. This way you have some time to see the movies and then we can have a spoiler show where we talk about a lot of the different elements of those movies. So those will be the real marathon spoiler shows, um, and they will be a little different than our, our typical show. Um, so that's, that is how I am tying in with this name, um, and that kind of gives you an idea of what this show is going to be like. Now, in terms of what the format of this show will typically look like, aside from those few uh, special shows that we'll do every once in a while. We will always start out with an introduction. That's what we're doing right now. We're introducing something about what the show is going to be like. After that, we will segue into the news. And this news is generally going to have something to do with films that are either winning awards or maybe an awards player come award season time. All right. So... That is what what we'll be talking about in terms of the news. After the news, I will move into a segment where we talk about upcoming events. So that might be our marathons, or uh, we may do some different roundtables and stuff like that. Um, This is also where I will preview some of the upcoming shows. So if there's a certain film, you are waiting to hear whether or not I'm going to review. You will know generally a few weeks ahead of time, 
what sh what movies I will be reviewing on upcoming shows. Once we get through the events portion of the show, then we get to the meat of it. This is where I review um, the film that will be the centerpiece for that show. Um, and this is going to be mainly the, the main portion. Um, after the main review, I will always have some sort of list. And it will generally be a list of five movies, actors, directors, something that I can then tie back to that, that main review that we did for, uh, for that specific show. And when we are done giving the lists, I will finish the show by giving a few trivia questions that are also somehow tied into what that day's show is all about. Okay? Um, one more note before we get ready, before we get into it, before we get through the rest of this show. This is going to be a weekly show. It will come out on Friday mornings so that you have something to listen to, maybe as you're getting ready for work, um, maybe on your commute to work, but can start to get you thinking about what you should um, watch over the weekend, um, or maybe avoid if it doesn't sound like something that you, you actually want to watch. Um, but that is the idea behind this, and um, I hope that you enjoy Listening as much as I enjoy producing these, and uh, let's get on with the show. week we learned that Bong Joon-ho who directed Parasite will be the head of the Venice Festival jury and this is important because um, he is a prominent director and uh, his his opinions on film um, they do matter to many people and uh, he will get to pick his jury and they will choose films that are probably very um, much in the same vein as the type of films that they make, or at least uh, films that appeal to them. The other part that makes this important is that in recent years, the Venice Film Festival has done a pretty good job of picking at least a um, prominent award player. This past year, uh, they chose Nomadland as their top choice for um, Best Picture and at the festival. And this is called The Golden Lion. Uh, and right now, Nomadland is uh, in play and is now the favorite to win Best Picture at the Academy Awards. Uh, the previous year, Joker won The Golden Lion, uh, ended up going on to be nominated for Best Picture. The following year Roma was the winner 
And for a while, that looked like it was the favorite to win Best Picture. And the year before, The Shape of Water was chosen, and The Shape of Water uh, did go on to win Best Picture. So we know that the movie that is chosen for the Golden Lion at the Venice Film Festival could very well go on to win lots of awards as the award season unfolds. Um, so that's why that ends up becoming a, an important piece of news. Um, just this week, we also learned uh, the date of release for some Searchlight Picture movies. Um, and this helps us to get an idea of what may be considered a, an award player for uh, some of these films by the production Searchlight Pictures. Um, so they said that they will be releasing The Night House in July. This probably probably means that they're not looking to have this in play for any awards just because it doesn't fit the timeline um, for award season. They will be releasing The Eyes of Tammy Faye on September 24th. This sounds a little bit more like uh, they are aiming to try to get some, some award buzz for this film. The movie Antlers, even though it's been getting a lot of buzz, um, because it is more of a scary type movie, it, its release date being October 29th, my gut tells me that they're just looking for a Halloween release. Um, but you never know. Um, and then the final movie they announced a date for was Nightmare Alley. Um, this is the latest from Guillermo del Toro. And they have set a date of uh, December 3rd. This tells me that they're they're trying to uh, get some award love um, for this film. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if it does get a little bit. It's a little out there, but so was The Shape of Water. And Shape of Water went on to win Best Picture. In other news, we have some critic circles and uh, associations that gave out their prizes this week. And I'm just going to go through and... Uh, let you know what some of these uh, best picture winners were for each of these groups. So the Denver Film Circle or critics, they they picked the Trial of the Chicago Seven. The Trial of the Chicago Seven is probably going to be a little bit of a uh, dark horse to win best picture. Um, it hasn't won a lot of best picture awards up to this point, but it has won a few, and it could uh, could come in late and, and steal the show. Uh, the Houston Films Critics Society chose Nomadland. The San Francisco Bay Area Film Critics Circle also chose Nomadland. Once again, that's that film that is going to be in play for Best Picture and currently is the favorite. The Philadelphia Film Circles or Critics Circles gave Ma Rainey's Black Bottom Best Picture. Uh, St. Louis Film Critics Association gave it to Nomadland. The International Documentary Association gave theirs to Crip Camp, and you expect that to be a documentary, but uh, it shows that there is a lot of love for the documentary, Crip Camp, which can be seen on Netflix. And then the Black Film Cir Critic Circle gave their uh, best picture to Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. So we got a couple in there for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, uh, my, my gut tells me that it will probably get nominated for Best Picture. Very unlikely it will win. Um, the fact that it's based off of a play and it, it 
flows like a play. Um, to me, just it, it doesn't doesn't seem like a best picture winner. But um, <clears throat> excuse me, but uh, it, it definitely will um, be in play for at least a nomination. Um, so that's it for this week's news. Um, and until next week, uh, you have a few different groups to um, think about some of their winners and uh, potentially to go out and watch some of those films. It is time to talk about uh, events that are coming up here in the next few weeks. Um, and I want to announce our very first uh, Real Marathon, Real Marathon spoiler show, um, which we will be having on March 5th. And we will be highlighting the show Small Axe. Now, so, if you don't know anything about this, uh, Small Axe is a five-movie series that was done on uh, Amazon Prime. And Small Axe is directed by the director Steve McQueen, um, who is maybe better known for, more recently, the film Widows. But then he, he won... Uh, best Picture for 12 Years a Slave in 2013. Um, but he has created this five-film series that's getting a lot of awards praise. Um, and it, it deals with uh, some real-life experiences that took place in London's West Indian community. And these events take place between the years of 1969 to 1982. So there are five episodes. Uh, they range from being a full-blown movie to a few that are just a little over an hour. Um, but I am going to be watching all five of them before we have our spoiler show on the 5th. And uh, I invite you to, to do the same. And you can watch those once again on Amazon Prime if you have that subscription. Um, if not, you can probably get a free trial of that if you haven't ever had it before, or you can uh, just do a month uh, subscription to that if you do want to watch those five films. Um, so that's what we're going to do on March 5th. But before then, I have a whole bunch of shows already set up. Um, so next week, uh, we are going to be reviewing the doc documentary, The Collective. Um, it is gaining a lot of praise, um, and so that's what we're going to be doing on January 29th. On February 5th, February 5th is the Friday after the 2021 um, Sundance Festival, and because it is remote, this year I am getting an opportunity to attend that remotely. So I'm going to be watching a bunch of 
uh, movies at Sundance. And so this is going to be a little bit different than our typical show, but I am going to have a Best of Sundance 2021 show on February 5th. The following week, um, I will be doing a review of Judas and the Black Messiah, which comes out on uh, February 12th on HBO Max. But because I am attending Sundance, I will be seeing it um, during the Sundance Festival. So I will be reviewing that film on the February 12th episode. Uh, on February 19th, I will be doing a review of Minari which was the uh, top pick at the 2020 Sundance Festival and should be in play for some Oscars at this year's Academy Award. It has been getting some praise from many of the uh, critic groups that have already been giving out awards, and so I will be doing a review of that film on February 19th. And then on February 26th, I will be doing a review of the favorite to win Best Picture, um, which is Nomadland. And that film will be uh, streamed on Hulu um, the previous week on February 19th. But because I won't have seen it yet at that point in time, I am going to be doing that review a week later. And then, like I said, we will be doing Small Acts on March 5th. And that is the events that I have planned for now. So let's get moving on to our main event, which is a review of Promising Young Woman. This podcast, and this week we are reviewing Promising Young Woman. Um, Promising Young Woman is a film by first time director Emerald Fennel, and at this point, it is the best film that I have seen that came out in the 2020, now sort of 2021. Um, Academy Awards window. Uh, I still haven't seen some of the other major players yet, but um, at this point, this is the leader um, for me. I gave it four and a half out of five stars, and uh, it's it's just really a remarkable film that came out at a time when we needed a film exactly like this one. Um, so I'm going to talk about a few of the different areas that I think it is exceptional um, and where I think it could be a, an award player. And the, we're going to first start with writing. Um, and the reason I'm starting with, with writing is because I believe that it is the film's best chance to win an Academy Award. In fact, I'd say that it probably um, is the favorite to win uh, the best original screenplay, and uh, it would be very, very much deserved. Um, the screenplay is also written by uh, the filmmaker Emerald Fennel, and um, 
you know, it's it, it it plays out very much as though it would would have been adapted from a novel. It feels like a novel. Um, in fact, it probably is better that it isn't a novel because uh, it it just seems so perfect as is. Um, the subject matter deals very much with rape culture, and the uh, ultimately it, it plays into. Um, this movement of Me Too, and it seems like it has come along um, just at the right time. At times, you, while watching this, you are very uncomfortable, um, and that is designed to be that way. Um, I would imagine for those who are victims of uh, sexual abuse or rape, this film may be hard to watch and maybe you wouldn't even want to watch it but for um, folks who maybe aren't as aware of just how toxic um, our culture is when it comes to the subject of, of sexual abuse and rape um, and kind of uh, giving males a pass uh, because it's in their nature or uh, it, it may be accepted by people within their social groups. Um, that That is something that I think the general public needs to uh, have more of an a, a interaction with, and I think this film does that. Um, this is not to say that the film is painful to watch from the whole way through. And in fact, uh, you really get uh, pretty engaged as you are watching the story play out and it takes some twists and turns. And I'm not going to say much more when it comes to the, the story. Um, it, I can give you just a, a brief synopsis without giving too much away. So uh, Carrie Mulligan, who plays Cassie, the main character in this film, uh, she is... Uh, clearly has been um, impacted by something traumatic in her past. And one of the ways that she is dealing with this is uh, is really confronting uh, sexual abuse and rape straight on. And um, we see this play out while also um, kind of seeing how these things maybe impact her uh, personal life. Um, so that kind of gives you a, a little bit of a, a synopsis of what, what is happening. But the less you know, ultimately, I think, makes for a, a better um, film-going experience. And in this case, um, it, it is really important uh, in ultimately landing the way that it does. Um, so I would I would love to see this film win uh, best original screenplay, and uh, like I said at this juncture, it is my favorite film of the year. Now let's talk about Carrie Mulligan. Um, Carrie Mulligan, I've been a fan of Carrie Mulligan um, ever since I saw An Education, um, which she was brilliant in that. She's been in many other films since then that have been equally as brilliant, um, but. This, this is her chance uh, to be recognized for an extremely important role. And um, 
I wouldn't say at this moment she is the favorite. I still think Frances McDormand from uh, Nomadland uh, is the favorite to win Best Actress. But in the last few weeks, it seems like Carrie Mulligan is picking up some steam. Um, this performance is very... I would I would think this would be a very difficult character um, to be able to portray because she rides this line um, between being this normal person and being this tortured person and um, maybe even at times being a little bit of this crazy person um, and and just having all of those different areas intersect and she she nails it uh i i cannot imagine anybody else playing this role um better than carrie mulligan does uh here and she she steals the entire movie um the rest of the cast is great but this is her movie we'll talk about the rest of the cast here in uh, in a little bit but i think that Things are trending her way to potentially win the Academy Award for this film. Um, but I'm not willing to guarantee anything. We're going to see how, how uh, the, the rest of the season plays out. It's a weird season um, because the, it has been extended and we're not going to get the Oscars for basically two months after we typically would. So a lot can happen between now and then. But uh, the film is trending pretty well. Um, and, uh, if for no other reason, see this film to see an absolutely outstanding performance. Um, Emerald Fennel put together an amazing debut. Uh, she seems as though she's been a filmmaker for many, many years, she has had some bit parts uh, acting in a number of TV shows and movies, um, but this is really her first big thing, and um, she absolutely nails it. That's about all you can say. Uh, she has a vision for the way that a, a movie should be shot. Um, the framing looks amazing. The aesthetic is amazing. And uh, she, she lets her actors um, just take over these scenes. Uh, it, it's an astounding uh, first film. Um, and uh, we can only hope that uh, the rest of her, her career provides us similar um, outputs as uh, this one with Promising Young Woman. Um, probably about a week or two ago, I would have said that she's probably not going to get nominated for best director. Um, but I think she may get in, uh, this film is picking up a lot of steam and, uh, she's definitely worthy of getting nominated. Um, but the Academy has a history of not nominating female directors. Um, and so... I would say that uh, she's still probably on the outside looking in. Um, maybe they make a statement and uh, decide to nominate her, especially for a film that's about um, 
really listening to women and what they have to say. Uh, I think that that would be a, a pretty big stand. Not to say that they should do it because for political reasons. Um, and kind of the same thing with with uh, Carrie Mulligan. We're not we're not out to uh, award performances because they they somehow make a fantastic political statement. Both are very very much worthy of winning the Academy Award, um, and it, it just helps that uh, it's the right time and that people should take note. Uh, I think film there there is an element of film, um, the craft, the art of it that takes into consideration timeliness and uh if if a film is well constructed and it is uh just an overall good movie but it it hits at the right point in time um that that just takes it to a whole nother level and that is definitely part of the reason that i loved this this movie so much um, I, I get the feeling that, uh, a movie like Judas and the Black Messiah will also be one of those timely movies. Uh, when Black Klansman, uh, by Spike Lee came out a few years ago, uh, that movie hit extra hard because of its timeliness. Um, and so this is a really, really important part of that. And, uh, Emerald Fennel, without a doubt, uh, captured um this moment in time and made a statement that is important uh and did it in an absolutely exceptional way um so i believe she should be should be rewarded for for her work here um should she win i don't know uh i still haven't seen um some of the other the other uh big time films that may be in play here um, but she should be in consideration. Um, it, if I'm going to be a little nitpicky, there are a few parts in this film where uh, things are just maybe a little off. Um, and maybe I, I would chalk that up to first-time director. Um, but they are pretty easy to forgive um, simply because of just how, how powerful the entire experience is altogether. Um, but that may set things apart a little bit from um, maybe more seasoned vet veterans. Uh, those are the things that held held back um, held me back from giving the film a perfect five out of five. I don't give a lot of perfect five out of fives. Um, in fact, I, I usually don't give a lot of uh, four and a halves. Uh, there are only a handful of movies that uh, are in that territory every every year, and uh, this just happens to be one of them. Now, I want to talk about two more areas that I think are really um, important aspects to filmmaking, and they don't get the credit that they deserve. Um, in fact, there's not an Oscar for either of these things, and I believe there should be. All right, so the first one is I believe that there needs to be an Oscar for Best Casting Director. Um, 
and because putting together a cast that complements each other, even when some of the performances aren't going to stand out and be recognized as uh, Academy-nominated performances, um, I don't think we give enough credit to putting together an absolutely stellar cast. And this movie has an absolutely stellar cast. Everybody was a perfect pick for their characters. Um, obviously, Carrie Mulligan, like I said, steals the show, but she has um, a supporting cast that, that makes this work because they're that good. Um, Bo Burnham is getting hardly any love uh, in terms of award season, but uh, I would consider... If I were an Academy of Academy voter, I would at this point. I can't say with a hundred percent certainty I would, but I'd consider um, giving him a vote for best supporting actor. Uh, Allison Brie is very good, um, and then there's just a handful of uh, characters that pop in real quickly, um, and uh, it. it if they weren't good, this film falls apart. There is, there are some actors who generally are not the bad guy, uh, and um, their ability to play somebody that kind of rides that line. Uh, is very very important to the success of what ends up happening um, so I if there was an award for casting director um, I believe that uh, this film without a doubt um, should get, receive a nomination uh, there's actually two casting directors on this film, and I want to say their names just because uh, they should receive credit. Uh, Mary uh, Vernu and Lindsey Graham, um, not to be confused with the uh, senator from South Carolina. Um, but the, this was just... If there was a... one area of filmmaking that we kind of forget just because directors a lot of times get credit for pulling this together. Um, they, they should be rewarding these casting directors. Um, just my opinion. All right. The other area that I think they need to create a additional Academy Award for is an award for a curated soundtrack. We have one for score, the original score, but there are many films that have put together a fantastic soundtrack that uh, in many times makes certain scenes, makes the film all together, and that just gets forgotten. Yeah, I get that these songs are 
uh, have already been previously made, but there is an art to being able to put together um, a, a soundtrack of different songs by different artists that really get to the essence of a film or the scenes. And in this, in this movie, uh, Promising Young Woman, uh, the soundtrack is fantastic. Not necessarily because I, I love the songs that are in it, but because it fits what they are trying to do. And what you see on screen is complemented brilliantly by what you hear. And there is one scene in the film um, where they, they play a Paris Hilton song. Um, and that Paris Hilton song, I've got to look it up because I, I always forget what the, the uh, name of that song is. Um, but that song mixed with that scene possibly is the best scene of the entire year in film. Um, that The song is Stars Are Blind. Um, you can find the scene on uh, on Twitter, um, on the internet out there. I've seen it posted multiple times. Try not to watch it until you see the film because I think it has a greater impact um, as part of the whole. But that song plays a major role in um, how that scene lands. And so if we could give an award to best soundtrack, uh, I think this, this movie would for sure be in the running for, for that award. So um, that, that is my overarching review of Promising Young Woman. I, like I said, I would give it four and a half stars. I think that um, anyone who is looking for a well-crafted uh, and um, well-thought-out, critically-thinking piece of art should watch this film. If you're looking for an entertaining rom-com, this is not it. But if you like to be challenged as a, a film watcher, um, I imagine that there probably are only a handful of films that will challenge you in the way that this film does. And that's what makes it so exceptional. So, if you want to watch this, um, right now it is uh, available to rent on demand because it just came out uh, this past Friday. Um, it will cost you $20 to rent, uh, still cheaper than uh, movie tickets and concessions if you end up watching it with somebody else at home. Um, but you can get it from all of your main platforms, YouTube, uh, Apple, um, basically anywhere that you would typically rent a movie. Um, but something that maybe you should consider, I know that we rented it from uh, Alamo Drafthouse. 
uh, because I wanted to support our local theater because right now they're not making money. Uh, the, the location here is closed down for the time being, and so I want to support the company, and so that might be something to think about doing. But uh, I highly, highly recommend watching this movie. Be prepared. There are some uncomfortable things. Um, there are some things that may be a little bit triggering. Um, but I, I assure you that if you go into this with an open mind and, um, and want a, a film that is a unique vision and is timely, that you will not be disappointed. Um, so go out, rent Promising Young Woman. And uh, I hope that maybe some of you who have seen it already or uh, end up seeing this, leave me some comments about uh, how you feel about uh, the film uh, Promising Young Woman. Alright, we are back and it is list time. So every week we uh, will have a list of five films, directors, actors, scenes, um, whatever you can think of that are going to be attached to uh, the topic that, that or some something revolving around our main feature that we reviewed every week. So this week, because Promising Young Woman uh, had a brand new director who made her directorial debut in 2020, um, I decided to come up with a list of five other directors that also made their uh, directorial debut in 2020. Um, and, and not necessarily the directors themselves, but the films that they made. So I have uh, ranked uh, my top five. Promising Young Woman would be number one, but we are disqualifying that because it is our number one overall movie um, this year thus far. Um, but I picked five others. And the reason that I limited it to 2020 is because I really want to focus these first few shows on highlighting some of the films that uh, I saw but didn't get a chance to do a full-blown review on um and so that way you can kind of kind of hear from me what i thought was good in 2020 and maybe uh, some things that maybe weren't so good um so let's get started at number five i picked one night in miami uh by director regina king Regina King has been a uh, mainstay in Hollywood for many, many years. Um, she is an actress who uh, more recently was the star of the HBO series Watchmen, but she's been around for quite a while. This is her first time directing. And she is proving that she is a very, very capable director as well. Um, anybody should be proud of what One Night in Miami uh, ended up becoming specifically as their directorial debut. 
I liked the movie. I ended up giving it three and a half out of five stars. So it wasn't my favorite movie of the year. Um, it didn't even make my top ten. But um, it has a lot of really good things about it. And the main problems that I have with the film have more to do with the script than with anything that Regina King as a director did. She had a vision. The film looks great. The aesthetic matches the 1964 uh, feel. Um, they picked great actors to portray the four main leads. And I don't have any problems with that. So the film is set in February, on um, February 25th of 1964. And it is a fictional um, meeting between uh, Malcolm X, Cassius Clay, also known as Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown, the football player, and the recording artist Sam Cooke. This did never happen, um, but they they it, this is based on a play, and they all come together and have this discussion about their role um, in in the civil rights movement of the 1960s. Now, my main issue with this script is that it's a little disjointed. And that is partly because it's so forced. This meeting just doesn't seem real. You have these larger-than-life uh, African-American celebrities and important, notable people. And each of them have large personalities. And so when they're all in the same room together having this conversation, it just doesn't quite click with me. It's not to say that what they're talking about isn't important and the film does have a good message. I am just not sure this is the vehicle to deliver that message. And I know there are a lot of critics out there that would disagree with me. People have loved this film, but it is slow. Um, and it doesn't quite come together perfectly. And that's where it lost me a little bit. I really, really wanted to love this movie. I wanted to love it so much. And it looks good, and I loved the performances. I just didn't love it. Like I said, gave it a three and a half out of five stars. Um, if you want to see some good performances, if you like period pieces... If you like uh, films that have uh, a lot to do with the civil rights movement and uh, the, the role that uh, significant um, people played in that, um, then you may be interested in this. But um, my, my opinion is that it is a little bit overrated. And that's the reason that it came, comes in at number five for me. Um, still absolutely great aspects of it. My next film on my list uh, kind of surprised me. Um, it is a film called Palm Springs by uh, Max Barbacow. And this is a film starring uh, Andy Samberg and uh, Kristen Milotti. 
Um, and it is essentially a modern day take on uh, Groundhog's Day. So these two individuals that don't know each other, they're at the same wedding and something happens and they keep reliving the same wedding day over and over and over again. So it's a comedy um, and, and it's fun. And even though it's not an original idea, uh, I still had a lot of fun with it. It's pretty well executed um, and it's just an enjoyable film. Um, I had forgotten to say that One Night in Miami can be found on Amazon Prime with that uh, subscription, so you can watch it free on there. This one is on Hulu. But if you're looking for just kind of a fun movie to watch on a weekend evening um, and you like Andy Samberg, uh, who actually is a little bit toned back in this movie, he plays a little bit more of a straight character than he uh, typically plays, um, I think you're going to like this this film. Um, at the very least, um, it, it it's enjoyable. Uh, I also gave this film three and a half stars. Um, and in a year where there is uh, a lot, there there has been a lot of pain, and there hasn't been a lot of happiness. Sometimes you just need a movie to sit down um, and watch and uh, kind of enjoy enjoy your, your evening while watching. Um, the, the craft of this film is pretty good, um, but this isn't the sort of movie that's going to be getting a lot of awards come award season. Uh, it's just a good movie that I think that, uh, that, that audiences far and wide can probably embrace. So that was number four. My number three movie, is a film uh, that you can find on Netflix, and it is called The 40-Year-Old Virgin. Not virgin, virgin. Um, obviously, it's a play on words off of that, that uh, comedy um, from the early 2000s. Uh, but this film is by a director named uh, Rada Blank, and she has basically, it seems like this is a semi-autobiographical film. Um, and this movie clearly did, does not have the budget that the previous two movies uh, had, but it does a lot with that small amount of resources that it, it has. Um, it is a little bit more of a raw feel. Um, so it may not appeal to as big of an audience. But the thing that I like about it is it is clearly a film about race and uh, gender and um, our society and how uh, those things intersect and um, how we have a lot of problems that still need to be overcome um, in regard to that in the way that we look at people as they age. Um, so we follow this playwright, uh, this playwright who uh, also kind of embarks on um, some immature rap. Uh, and we, we watch as she kind of goes through this, this uh, journey. Um, and there are definitely parts about this film that are, are refreshing um, because it is not so in your face um, that that 
you almost feel smothered by it. Um, even though it is obvious what they are trying to say, um, there's a little bit more nuance to it than even in One Night in Miami. Um, there are things that, that you pick up on that, um, that aren't uh, being delivered in a way that's, okay, I get your point. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that the messaging is a big part of the plot line. Um, I am not so sure, out of all of these directors, I am not so sure that uh, Rod and Blank will be able to uh, put something else out that is going to um, be different enough and exceptional enough to outshine this directorial debut. Um, because it is somewhat autobiographical, she wrote it, she stars in it, um, and she directed it. Uh, I. I will, I will be interested to see where she goes um, next with this. Um, and and I'm not saying she can't. It's just that the material does not lend itself to being um, her work being transferred to some other project. Um, and so we're going to see. Uh, I also gave this film three and a half stars. So you're seeing that these are all uh, kind of in that, that same area. I had a hard time. I could, on any given day, I may switch these around um, and maybe after repeated viewings, uh, I may change my mind about how I feel. Um, but uh, this is the order that I kind of decided. So those were those uh, three films. Now, at number two, at number two, I have a film called The Vast of Night, directed by Andrew Patterson. Um, he also wrote the, the screenplay. Um, this was a very surprising film. This film can also be seen on Amazon Prime. If you have a subscription to Amazon Prime, uh, you can see it free on there. This is an ode to The Twilight Zone. If you are a huge fan of The Twilight Zone, um, you probably will like this, this film, um, kind of has a throwback feel to that, uh, has a feel of Orson Welles, uh, War of the Worlds radio, um, show that became really famous. Um, but I was immediately hooked by the opening scene. So the premise of this film is that, uh, it takes place in a New Mexico, uh, little town in the late 1950s, and uh, a radio DJ discovers this weird audio frequency that's coming over um, the radio and uh, starts putting it out to his listeners and asking them to call in if anybody knows what it is, and people start calling in with these strange stories. But the opening scene in this film is worth seeing the movie for um, simply just because it's so well executed. And they, they cast um, this, this actor named Jay Korowitz, who's the main character, uh, and he's just charismatic, and he, he draws you in. Uh, but the way that it's shot, um, 
just the feel that it sets. It's so cool. Um, this isn't a perfect movie by any means. Uh, there are things that could have probably been improved with a larger budget, but because of the way that it is made, um, I'm not so sure that uh, it would have improved it too much to have that higher budget. Um, I really enjoyed this film. Um, so if you have Amazon Prime, I gave this film four stars. Uh, you should go and check it out. Uh, I think that uh, I think that you will enjoy it, um, especially if you're kind of into that that uh, weird paranormal uh, UFO uh, type type story. Um, so that was the vast of night. And then at number one, like I said, I typically would have put uh, promising young woman at number one. But I decided uh, to go with Sound of Metal. Once again, this is another Amazon Prime uh, film. Sound of Metal is actually, at this time, my second favorite film of the year. So my top two uh, movies that I have seen for the 2020 uh, season are both first-time directors. And that is pretty astounding. Um, I think there is something to be said. Uh, look, don't mind me going off on a little bit of a tangent here. Um, there is something to be said about uh, a original new perspective. So many directors keep going back to the kind of the same same ploy over and over again. You get you kind of get that uh, same vantage point, and um, it it starts to grow tiresome. So getting some new life, some new blood in there, uh, that that can absolutely, absolutely uh, change the entire way that, that you experience film. Um, I also think that because movies are very, uh, it's a very male-driven industry, um, that sometimes female-directed films are more interesting because they have a different lens. They see the world in a different way and it allows them to channel that in a creative way that uh, uh, kind of breaks up the staleness of what is typically uh, considered to be the best in the film world each and every year. Um, so I think that that allows a movie like Promising Young Woman to be more fresh and original than uh, it would be if a male were to direct a similar film. Now, Sound of Metal is directed by a male, uh, Darius uh, Darius Martyr, and up until I saw Promising Young Woman, this was my favorite my favorite movie of the year. Um, it has it, so the premise of the movie is it follows this. A uh, heavy metal drummer who has begun to lose his hearing, and he eventually loses it, and how he learns to cope in a world that, uh, first of all, has been completely driven by the fact that he can hear, um, and learn that uh, deafness isn't necessarily a disability. Um and it's a really cool movie. Uh, there are not a lot of movies that are made that 
really take what we consider to be disabilities and frame it in a way to say that is not the case. It's just a different way of living. And this movie does a great job of showing that. Uh, the way that it is portrayed is unique. Um, the way that it's shot, the way they deal with sound, um, and it has an absolutely exceptional cast. Um, there, I, I don't, I haven't really seen a movie quite like it, uh, and uh, I am greatly appreciative of that. Um, so, if you have Amazon Prime, I gave you three movies that are all included in that. So even if you don't go uh, rent or, or go uh, get a month subscription simply to watch those three movies and our movies from our uh, marathon that we're going to be doing, Small Acts, because all five of those are on there as well. Um, but I think uh, that that there are some really good movies on, on that st streaming service. Um, and uh, they're going to make a run for, for some of these awards here during award season. So that was my list. Once again, um, in order... Uh, I had number five, I had uh, One Night in Miami. Number four, I had Palm Springs. Number three, The 40-Year-Old Version. Number two, The Vast of Night. And number one, Sound of Metal. Go out, see them, let me know what you think. And that is my list. It is time for some trivia to finish out our show. So I'm going to ask five trivia questions. Uh, I will wait until next week to read you the answers to these questions before giving you um, some brand new trivia questions next week. Um, but I, I hope that you think about them and you may end up looking up the answers. But if not, I will uh, give you those answers next week. So my first question. The title of Promising Young Woman is a reference to what Stanford student who, can, who was convicted of sexual assault in 2016 and was referred to as a promising young man by his sympathizers? The title of Promising Young Woman is a reference to what Stanford student who was convicted of sexual assault in 2016 and was referred to as a promising young man by his sympathizers. Question number two. What film discussed today broke the record for largest purchase ever at the Sundance Film Festival for a total of $17,500,000.69, breaking the previous record by 69 cents? What film discussed Today broke the record for largest purchase ever at the Sundance Film Festival for a total of $17,500,000.69, breaking the previous record by $0.69. Cents. 
Question number three. The Vast of Nights title was taken from what play by the famous William Shakespeare? The Vast of Nights title was taken from what play by the famous William Shakespeare? Question number four. Riz Ahmed, the star of Sound of Metal, hoped the film would encourage more people to learn what language? Riz Ahmed, the star of Sound of Metal, hoped the film would encourage more people to learn what language? In question number five. One Night in Miami was released on Amazon Prime on January 15th, 2021, the same day as director Regina King's birthday. How old did King turn this year? One Night in Miami was released on Amazon Prime on January 15th, 2021, the same day as director Regina King's birthday. How old did King turn this year? So those are my five trivia questions. Tune in next week to get the answers. I hope that you enjoyed my show. Uh, thank you for sticking with me, even though at this moment it's a pretty raw show. Um, we will work on getting that polished as we move along. But um, I hope you enjoyed my first episode. And I can't wait to see you back here again next week when we review the documentary, The Collective. Have a great week.